Hello, I am Philip Kennedy. Thank you for downloading this podcast of the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. We hope you enjoy listening to this. For more information about our programs, please visit www.nyuad.nyu.edu slash institute. I've done this now so many times over the previous days with all the functions, but I'll say yet again how uh, pleased I am to have Christopher Quinn uh, come to Abu Dhabi. We've known each other for many years. Uh, he's an award-winning documentarian, uh, doc- documentary filmmaker. Uh, his first film, which we showed last night, uh, God Grew Tired of Us About the Lost Boys of Sudan, uh, uh, won the Grand Jury Award and the Audience Award at Sundance. And the following year, he was uh, awarded the Best Emerging, Outstanding Emerging Documentary Filmmaker. Um, he did the American version of the British series 21 and Up, uh, following the lives of people from the age of 5 to 7 to 12 to 21. Um, amazing work. And um, he's someone who takes a long time deciding on what he wants to commit to. And when he commits, he commits so fully and movingly, um, as you'll see tonight. And the funny story he told about this particular film uh, in one of the classes we were talking in today was that in this, this instance, whereas you know, often the work you want to do is something you have an idea about. In this case, he gets a call from Natalie Portman and, Jonathan Safran for the author of the book upon which this movie is based saying, you know, we know your work and uh, we would love you to uh, make a documentary based on Jonathan's book. And Christopher's first response was you have the wrong guy. I really like a big juicy steak. Uh, And, uh, but he said, they said, that's no problem. And um, he was given the book and he read the book. And having read the book and then m- met with Jonathan Safran Four, the author, um, he found his mind already changing and that he wanted to go on a journey of discovery. And as I say to my students all the time, the best storytelling comes out of you giving us, the reader, back your journey of discovery rather than coming had us with what you think you know and Christopher's a real real talent at giving back the discovery as you'll see in this movie this is really the journey um, but he does it through these multiple voices that you're about to witness um, so without further ado I as you'll see we're going to do a Q&A afterwards but this is a artist of real passion and compassion um, so I'm going to introduce him briefly to come up and say a few words, and then we'll have the Q&A afterwards. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Charles. Hi. uh, Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for coming uh, to watch my film. uh, It's been a wonderful uh, set of days here already, and I've enjoyed meeting so many people. Um, so I'll be brief, and I, we're going to get together afterwards. So um, this is a culmination of uh, five or six years of my life, and uh, sometimes it was watching the grass grow, and other times it was moving faster than I could keep up. But 
I hope you enjoy it, and we'll be back afterwards to discuss it. Thanks so much for coming. Ah, thank you, Christopher, for that. Two nights in a row, I've seen these movies many times, but two nights in a row being brought to such emotion. Um, I'd like to open this to a Q&A. I'm, I'm just going to start with my cue uh, and to get, get things rolling. You had said in a, one of our previous conversations here in the last couple of days that when you first sat down with Jonathan Safran for the author, uh, he said you can do what you want with the book. And um, you found that very liberating. And it's so interesting to me, stylistically and just authorial choices, that the only character uh, in the movie uh, from his book is Frank Reitz. Yeah. And then you went out and found everyone else and then did this amazing, this movie is just this ensemble where you're just going back and forth juggling. So talk about why, how you came to that and why you did it that way. Well, th thanks for coming, by the way. Um, the, uh, one of the things that I thought was really important was to see the individuals kind of in the long shadow of factory farming to see how the individuals uh, are affected, not just the animals, which is apparent. And you can see in the CAFOs, those confined feeding operations. But um, what it's doing collectively, uh, no matter what lens you wanted to look through, whether it was for your own human health um, or if it was from animal suffering or the idea of environmental degradation, that there were, each individual had to kind of represent one of those lenses. And so that was an important thing to me. But also to see kind of like Frank Reese, the turkey farmer, and then uh, Craig Watts, and to see that American America prides itself on this patch quilt of independent American farms, and that had all gone away by the time I started to tack across the country. Um, and really to see um, that it was also uh, a depletion of spirit, that there's these large pools of former farming um, communities that don't have that way of life anymore. And uh, so it's not... The, the system itself works for just a few corporations, which they profit greatly from. But um, collectively, um, I think we all lose. And all of that is to say that this also has such an enormous weight on the environment, which is going to be an issue that we're going to have to face with South Asia and East Asia starting to adopt the so-called Western diet. Uh, that meteoric rise in meat consumption there is leading to more and more animals being produced to raise fast food and other, other quick um, meals that include meat, cheese, and dairy. We're in a real problem. And, and if we continue, we're going to have to go from 50 billion animals to 100 billion animals by 2050. And the environment already can't take and support what we're asking of it. I guess oh. that answers. I hope it answers. All those were variables in, in deciding on who was going to be in the film and representing the various aspects of those lenses. A uh, set of question asked of the person who invented cottage cheese. How did he or she know that they were finished? Um, um, 
how did you know where to stop with your research? This goes to China, it goes to India. How many years was this? It was quite a bit of time, and it was also to to get the narrative shape of you know of of time, which is you know Jim Keen. When I first met him, was in this moment of crisis, and his family didn't survive it. And um, Craig Watts waiting to see that decision where he had that breaking point, but also that kind of willful moment where he says that great line out of nowhere one day when we were recording him where he said you really make a choice the self-empowerment for this guy who had no power that you make a choice of what you put on your plate and that kind of reshaped his whole way and now he he heads out and he talks to other commodity farmers about being able to quit and how to do it and uh, we wanted to go that long and make sure that we saw the course through these various people that are in there, that there was real change in shape with what was going on. Yeah. I'd like to, uh, someone's going to run a mic to you. I, I was told I have to, we have to wait until the mic goes to the <laughs> person. <laughs> Thank you for coming, Christopher. We do appreciate uh, what you just showed us. Um, one question. Um, I would like to know what you hope to achieve when you the moment you decided to go on in this trip to make this film. And uh, today, is there a difference between what you hope to achieve and what you have achieved so far and what you think this film can do? Thank well, you. I think it's the beginning, just to answer the back end of that conversation, I mean, I think it's the beginning of having a dialogue that we all have to have. I mean, I think we know that we can't consume meat on the level, at least um, the way that Western cultures have consumed meat. Um, and there's a way of stepping forward into the future where, look, I, I'm pretty practical about it. There's, you know, the, on the sides of the spectrum, there's the hearty meat eater, and then there's the vegan abolitionist. And there are those two sides. And I think there's some real empowerment of saying, if you just pulled back from eating meat one or two times a week, it would have this radical effect. If everybody did that on the planet, then, then we would start to see the reversal of the environmental degradation and less animals suffering and confinement and your own human health. There's a whole issue of consuming too much meat. We now know there's definitive um, arguments that saying consuming a lot of meat is really not good for your own human and social health. So, um, and then the first part, I'm sorry, uh, when, what was the first part of your question? I didn't ask in a clear way. So um, my, my main point was, um, did what you hope to achieve when you start, let's say, filming changed between then and now after your research, after the whole trip, after the feedback that you have from, from the impact of the film? Yeah, I mean, well, the, the feedback's been wonderful. We've been able to go all over the place and in and, and Europe, in the United States, and also in Australia. We go to China uh, in June with it. Um, and I think everybody cares about it. It's amazing. I mean, there's not anybody that doesn't care. Nobody wants to see an animal suffer for their meal. I think it's in the United States, it's 98% of people uh, have an issue with that. Um, but yet we've designed a system that is in place that causes more suffering than any, any time in, in human history. 
and I think there's ways of moving forward and, and I think it's a conversation and I think it's a, it's not just my film. There'll be multiple other films that have to tell this story, but it's really about informing. Like I didn't know, I, I thought I was a really good consumer and I was getting my meat, de- eggs and dairy and I, the catchphrases all seemed to sing to me and I was able to feel good about the meal I was putting on my family's plate. But in reality, when I started to look under the hood of factory farming and how we raise our, our food, it just turned everything upside down. And uh, so that was the takeaway for me is I just wanted to share what I learned on this journey. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> you know, so Super Size Me was one that came out some time ago. And I'm just curious. I mean, I think one of the things that that comes to mind is that it's, and it's something that you bring up in the film is it's, it's, it's so much larger than the topic itself. Right. I mean, in other words, it's not simply about scaling back, which is important, but about it's systemic, right? So that the production of meat is part of the larger production of it's a, it's a profit industry for profit industry. So, so, uh, you know, it's one thing to say that we want to really, by focusing on this industry, to talk about health issues and, you know, animal cruelty issues and, and you know, sort of try to, to cut back on that. But the larger question has to do with, the, with sustainable development the world over and about a capitalist economic model, right, of which this kind of work and farming is a part. So, unless one changes or one calls attention to the systemic problem, I'm not sure how symptomatically we can go about, um, you know, dismantling one one part of the problem rather than the whole thing. And I'm thinking particularly here, and I wondered if I was going to ask you, if, the, if, if a book called by Ruth Hoseki, who's a Japanese-American writer and also documentary filmmaker at time, Made a uh, wrote a book called My Year of Meats, mm-hmm. and which takes that problem on in a very interesting way. I wondered if you came across that in your research, and whether you also heard about the ways in which a lot of the meat ingestion and exposure to, uh, you know, the kind of stuff that happens in these farms is affecting people who live in them in terms of horribly severe bodily changes so that, for example, girls younger than nine are menstruating and growing huge breasts before they're even nine. I mean, four or five-year-olds. Des, which was used, you know, years earlier to the 70s, called reproduct- you know, caused reproductive damage to women's systems. So, I mean, has that made its way you know, that opens it up to so much more, right? A very much larger critique of the damage that's being done. Sure. Well, it's a massive subject, right? And with 90 short minutes to tell it, uh, it becomes difficult. And that's why I always encourage, and you know, there's there's other filmmakers right now, there's one called Game Changers that's coming out that is a very pro-all-veg uh, diet. And, um, and I've been supporting the filmmaker in that. There's, there's a lot to cover in a little amount of time. Um, and uh, social health is a big and significant one. And we poured through and did a lot of research on it. And uh, yeah, um, meat consumption. You know, I think the United States just called it a, a carcinogenic. 
So they're basically saying meat is not good for you and you should cut back. Meantime, you have the same, you say, have the same government who's artificially subsidizing cheap meat. So you have chicken that as soon as those subsidies went away, that business that you see, that house of cards, would, it would just collapse immediately. But people think there's cheap chicken. 80% of the meat that we raise in the United States goes to fast food. So you get a 99 cent burger. But when you actually externalize all those costs, they add up ra- rather quickly, especially the, um, the taxpayers' money pays for that cheap chicken. So you, you pay for it one way or another. You also have the healthcare costs that are astronomical. We're seeing this in South Asia where meat consumption in the inner cities is starting to happen at a rapid rate. And all of a sudden, you have a, a huge rise in type 2 diabetes and heart disease. So we know these are real problems. Um, And the environment is just completely taxed on so many levels. And you have to argue, you can grow, uh, you know, a sweet pea that is a protein source that's very rich, especially if you isolate it. And uh, you can get, uh, that could be a very good protein source. Instead of growing that sweet pea and then feeding it to an animal, you're doubling the system so there's all these conversations that need to start to take place, but we have to change. This is a, basically a film about a system that is completely bankrupt and ultimately is going to fail. And it's just a matter of time. And it will, I can say with great confidence that factory farming will ultimately fail. Thank you very much for continuing this conversation um, through your film, which it's a conversation that's been going on for a long time. I think of uh, one of the books that I teach in one of my courses, uh, The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, which uh, causes great uproar um, about the meatpacking industry in Chicago in the early 1900s. And he famously said that I tried to hit people in the heart, but I got them in the stomach because what he... He influenced people to start worrying about the food that they were consuming. And when I was watching this uh, extraordinary film uh, t- tonight, I started thinking, well, I'm going to become a vegetarian, you know, or I'm going to uh, eat meat more responsibly. But then I began to think, well, what about public policy? And it seems to me that uh, going to, to the, that, that point earlier, um, it is a systemic problem. And I'm wondering, you know, as influential as this personally has has been to to many of the the, the viewers i'm sure um, have you seen some sort of influence for people organizing for people continuing this conversation uh, and pressuring the governments uh, our leaders no our rulers I, I hesitate to call them our leaders because let's let's be honest uh, they're more rulers than anything but um how, how what has been the influence of of this conversation on that larger discussion? Well, things are starting. I mean, it, I, I would say it's, it's, it has a long way to go, but case in point, uh, one of uh, the you know, experts that's in there uh, who runs the Good Food Institute is a perfect example. That's an uh, organization that now sits on Capitol Hill. It's walking distance to all the senators and, and also very specially to the committee that makes all these decisions. And they are putting real pressure. They're starting to apply real pressure. Um, And that's just coming from a change. There's a lot of people 
who believe, especially in in the industry itself, not the not the meat industry, but but you know some of the capitalists and entrepreneurs and and in the mainly in the tech sector really believe of moving away from it. And there's another organization that is trying to has, has stopped over a trillion dollars of investment dollars going in to factory farm systems that are setting up, popping up in South Asia, Africa, and China. And he's convinced them on a grand level not to invest because his whole argument is that it's a risky venture uh, supporting factory farming. And eventually, if you look at the numbers, your your investment will fail. Uh, And so that sort of dialogue is starting to take place, but it is really, it's it's not... uh, doesn't have the muscle to get to where we need to go, but it's a beginning. And all of that's starting to t- take place. And what's really encouraging is like in the United States, Burger King, Carl's Jr., these are fast food companies, have adopted Beyond Meat Burgers. And now they're, and they, uh, Burger King just announced their, their new Whopper is 100% uh, vegetable-based. So... I wouldn't have thought that when I started. I thought, you know, if you at, if somebody told me that, I, I would have uh, laughed. And now here it's starting to happen. And and that meat substitute, I don't know if you've ever had it, but it's it's almost impossible to taste the difference between a, a burger, commodity burger, and that that impossible burger, Beyond Burger. And if you want a f- quick fix for protein, why not get it from you know Canadian yellow peas instead of animals that are on a dry lot, 175,000 crammed in and, and fighting for their lives while they're, where, you know, antibiotics are being put into them. So there's like, really, I think it's starting to happen. It's really, I'm, I'm actually very optimistic and encouraged by some of the stuff that's taking place. I, uh, massively. Yeah, because when Natalie and Jonathan came to me, I confessed, I said, you got the wrong guy. We were talking about that earlier. And I said, you know, I kind of like to eat meat. And they said, that's fine. That's okay. And it didn't take but more than a year of being out on the road and with commodity, uh, you know, farming to convince me to go the other way. I have to say that I, I did that very subjective bit about the, the dairy. And I was just slack jaw when I actually saw where so-called, you know, organic milk was coming from and uh that was really the first to go for me was was dairy but now you know i we uh i wouldn't call myself a a vegan but i'm probably about a 98 percent vegan and occasionally like um alice waters in san francisco hosted the event and had frank and i happily ate his turkey but that's (laughs) the last time i've had turkey and that's been a while ago so um yeah it changed my and my family's uh, okay. eating patterns. Yeah. <laughs> because he thought I was trying to turn him into a vegetarian. Um, maybe that's there's some truth in that. Um, I would like my family and friends to watch this. So where is this film available? Well, we ju- so they, it had a theatrical release and uh, in the United States, and we just went. It's just been released on Amazon, Hulu, iTunes, 
Xbox, weird enough. I don't know. You want to watch it. Um, so it's out there. Uh, and then it will go into Netflix as soon as we have a theatrical uh, in the UK. That's going to be happening starting in June. And then Germany and France. And once those cycles of uh, theatrical happen, then it will be released on Netflix internationally. So, Could I ask, yeah. um, why is it that that moving away from meat all of the, the proposals are to imitate meat-looking products. How is it that we can transition when the visual remains the same? And I'm, I'm curious about that uh, for other products as well, like fur, faux fur. Uh, doesn't it, don't we need a complete mind shift well, Would maybe that be so, useful? I'm, yeah, I mean, what's interesting that happened to me is I just had a complete mind shift by going to the source and seeing how horrific it was and stopped eating chicken, you know, almost immediately. And for me, I just kind of eat whole foods. That's what I choose to do now. I don't necessarily need a Beyond Burger, but I'll eat a Beyond Burger and I'll have people over and we'll eat a Beyond Burger. And it's actually not that, for me, I thought this is impossible. I'm never going to be able to give up eating meat. And the fact that I'm sitting here on a stage <laughs> in Abu Dhabi, and saying that, that I don't really eat meat is, is, is short of a miracle. So if anybody can do it, I, I, I think there's just a, a, a shift away from, you know, the, the Western diet really placed meat front and center. And in the United States, that's always been the case since the early, when, since it colonized, because there, it was just so easy to grow animals. But um, I don't know the answer to like shifting over Except for I think there's something really, uh, the, you know, Ethan Brown, who, who was the guy that ha- did the plant-based alternative uh, burgers, he was, it, when I was following him around, he was going to these, like, Taco Bell, these big meat companies. He's like, just put 20% of my plant-based into your taco. Um, and it's here to the cost. And, and the companies love the cost because it's really inexpensive, uh, especially when you scale up. Uh, so they like that idea. They really like, you know, they're in business. Um, but it's it's also, uh, there's traps somewhere in there is somebody that really wants the authentic thing, the all beef burger. And then to extend, and I don't know if I'm at answering your question, but I think people want a, a simu- simulation of, of what they formerly ate. And eventually that just goes away. I mean, that's what ends up happening, I think. But, you know, I don't think there's any problem with eating a, a you know, a veggie burger. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> Thank you very much for this. Actually, this is what we need, the power of film, because no matter how many books are there or how many... Are trying. I teach sustainability and I teach these topics, but it's always films and movies that can really reach people, more people, and uh, impact them. Uh, my comment is only uh, I didn't see much focus here on climate change, and uh, the problem is the point is we, the social concerns and the um, cruelty against animals and people's health and all these issues are being, you know, addressed and addressed. But the maybe the climate change thing is that. Is, is the thing that would maybe at the end force us to take action now, uh, because this is if 
in terms of global warming and the emissions, uh, meat production is the number, uh, I think it's the, uh, the most important action that we do in order to reduce emissions is to uh, reduce meat consumption. So I didn't see much focus in your, uh, or did I miss? Well, we did, we covered it. I mean, we, we said that, you know, uh, raising meat for consumption is, is either arguably one or two, you know, in the, in, in the lineup of contributors to uh, climate change. So we did cover that section. And I feel like uh, climate change is always omnipresent in, in the film. But, you know, it's interesting to hear that perspective. I, I, for me, it's a, it's a big deal. In fact, Jonathan's new book, which is going to get released, you know, in, in a month, is about the focus, uh, and we talked about a lot about this, is to refocus on how you can tune your diet and specifically change the way uh, our environment is going. So... It's the the problem is that the the story is so enormous and and the systems are so massive in place. It's in order to address in an eighty or ninety minute film, it becomes very complicated and difficult. And that's why I've always encouraged and and said whenever I wherever I go, start making more films about our food systems because yes, they have well. to completely be replaced. Just like a lot of systems. There's a uh, Ethan Brown's dad, uh, who is, is uh, a professor at McGill um, in uh, Canada, and I was talking with him, and he said, really, all the systems have to now be re, uh, rejiggered, whether they're financial systems or food systems, and the planet has to be front and center. And in order to make or develop any system, really, the, the planet's health has to be the number one priority, because that's kind of where we are right now. Um, and I learned it, you know, by spending six years on the road looking into it. But there's there's no shortage. I mean, we had a, we had a half an hour on the ocean and the depletion of the species of uh, on the ocean, and it was massive section that we just ended up having to pull out because I think our film was probably about four and a half hours. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of material no, that hit the floor yeah. that I would love to <laughs> Very well have back done. up there. And I like the uh, mentioning of uh, biodiversity and how, yeah, the monoculture thing. And this, this was really, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, is, the UN just released that big finding, right? Ten-year study. Yeah. And they, they said, how do we feed the world moving into the future? And all, all their experts concluded that it's, Going back to multiculture, small farms is is actually a really healthy way to to feed the world. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, one of the things that was really powerful about the film is just how deeply how deeply felt how uh, all of your your interlocutors are. I mean, just the, the deep emotion that they articulated, the openness, the sincerity. And it, it I mean, it, in common with the film last night, it, you have people who just um, seem to be so natural in front of a camera and so willing to, to reveal tragedies and their deep, the deepest emotions. And I just wondered as a filmmaker, how you help people arrive at that point. Um, uh, what, what it takes to make a film like this and also the toll that it takes on you. How do you as a filmmaker 
sustain yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, thanks for saying that. I've, and one of uh, we and we've talked a lot. We did a master class the other day, and then we we talked to two classes today. And what I've spent a lot of time doing is not spending time with the individuals, but spend before the camera ever comes around. And I spent probably about a year with the individual people um, and getting to know them and building up what I always say is mutual trust and admiration. And, and, and once that gets there and you, you know, people are giving themselves over to you to tell their story, but you know, editorially you, you're omniscient and you can, can say whatever you want to say. And I think you have, it's your really a responsibility as a storyteller or a filmmaker or a writer to give them a sense that they are in good hands. And that's when that ease starts to come because it's a developed friendship um, that people start to say what they want to say. And those candid moments I always look for in films. And so I strive to, as a, a filmmaker, to have those in there because I, I'm a firm believer that the individual, you know, up against the rest of the world is, is the way to, that's the magic of cinema for me is like, you can place an individual in the, and his experience will tell you so much more about the world, whether it's a Sudanese refugee who comes for relative safety in the United States. And then we see the United States in a completely different way. Um, so that's just the kind of filmmaking I like to do. And then it, yeah, I, you know, a lot of the times, just like, you know, the woman was saying about her husband, I sometimes I don't want to know about these things because they're hard to face. And, you know, this was a, took a real toll because I, I, I kind of looked under the hood. And now anytime I go out to eat, I just kind of make an assessment of the, the food that's in front of me. And I, I wish it was simpler. Um, and then you just have like with the Lost Boys of Sudan, it was a real emotional journey for me. Uh, and I don't, I'm happy I tell these stories and uh, I don't think I would do anything else, but it does over time, you know, just start to, you wish the world was in a better place. Yeah. Um, I just got word we have to shut down. Like, oh, quick last question. Okay. Yeah, I meant to ask you how you see the organic farming, for instance, as a possible answer to uh, continuing uh, raising animals and eating some meat, but not so much, and just having the organic. Yeah, so uh, Frank, that's the oldest genetic line of turkeys in the United States, and some would argue the world. It's uh, 120 years old, so you can taste what turkey tasted like way back when. Um, and... Uh, I think in his birds sell, they, they sell out. There's nobody like, I, I think as many as he can make, they are bought and, and sold. Um, and they're really expensive. But the idea that argument that meat was should always was expensive. And when I grew up in Virginia, we would eat meat maybe once a week. And my mom would make a soup out of the remains and, you know, but we didn't eat a lot of, uh, a lot of meat. And that only really changed in the, the late 70s, where fast, convenient meat came into our diet, it's only 40 or 50 short, short years that we kind of adapted and changed this way. But I think if you are going to eat meat, and I don't, you know, you really should go and find the source. So I have 
two boys at home that love burgers, they don't get to eat them very often. But I found a farmer in Connecticut who grows a small, has a small herd, but really takes care of his animals, loves his animals, and then renders one every once in a while, and he'll call me up, and I'll get some, you know, meat to make a burger for them on, on occasion. But it's really expensive. And I think if everybody kind of adapted that way, there's like this, this idea of right for, you know, meat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner isn't even... It's not even who we are biologically. You know, we, we, didn't, we didn't eat meat that way. So it's, um, it's a real head scratch. I don't, I don't know how we got here. Christopher, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. Nice day. You've been listening to a download from the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. You'll find more information on our website, www.nyuad.nyu.edu slash institute.